Hi, everyone. Today, I have a fantastic guest who is already personally branding himself, and he is Josh Mason. Josh, please introduce yourself. Thank you, Dr. Asim. I'm Josh Mason. I am a cybersecurity instructor. I work for Jacobs as a contractor for the Defense Cybercrime Center Cyber Training Academy. I focus on forensics and threat emulation, detection, counter infiltration for military services. I am also an associate instructor for With You With Me. It's an Australian company working globally. Their primary mission was set up to help veterans get jobs in fields that are needed. Tech, cyber fulfills that. Mm -hmm. And they provide training, free services, and job placement, and even jobs. Sometimes they will take contracts and then hire veterans and now also displaced aviation professionals, pilots, and all the people that are connected to aircraft mm -hmm. that, because of COVID, travels down and they don't have work. Mm -hmm. Trying to give them different skills and get them jobs as well. In Australia, about a third of neurodivergent individuals are without a job. And that's another thing that With You With Me wants to tackle. Oh, nice. I teach cyber courses and most recently offensive cyber courses for With You With Me. Okay. I'm also, I've got a guest here, Michael Snyder. He's a robotics instructor with a high school in Virginia, and he has graciously allowed me to be a mentor to their cybersecurity club. And they placed in the top 4% on the Cyber Patriot nice. competitions last year. Wow. So Very nice. It was them. It was Sebastian and Jacob, Rachel. They did a great job. That's me. I used to be a pilot. I flew C-130 aircraft, flew in Afghanistan. I've flown in Africa and Europe. And then life changed, started having kids. You can't fly and be home. It just... It doesn't make sense. The whole purpose of flying is to go places, right? Right, right, right. If you want to be home, it doesn't really work. So I switched into cybersecurity, and I can tell you for the last year, I've been home a lot, and we've still been able to do our jobs, right? Right, right. And this is, I've been told, the new normal. So that is amazing, right? That is amazing. That is an amazing introduction. What a colorful kind of personality. I knew we would have a great conversation. So what things do you want to talk about today, Josh? There are a couple of things that I've been seeing and reading that I want your take on. Okay. The first, there is, I'm curious if you think it's a myth, and then it's a compound question. Okay. If it's not a myth, how do we solve it? So do we not have enough people in cybersecurity. So uh -huh. do we have enough si people in cybersecurity? <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> the problem is on the hiring side. Mm -hmm. This is one of the key things that you probably saw in the book that you just recently read of mine. Mm -hmm. We have a cadre of people in positions of power who simply look at humans as an expense. And they look at humans as an expense on a budget sheet. They forget about the part of the value creation that every humans do. As a result, what has been happening over the last 40 years is that you've got these people in positions of power. They are not the ones really creating the value. The real value is created much lower down in the organization. And those people used to be paid well. They used to be retained. They used to be retrained and valued. 
But what happened is that as the top tier started to get very heavy, the bottom tier, the bottom has fallen out. So you see layoffs, and that's what you've been seeing over the last 40 years. Layoff has become so normalized, and because it's just like a boiling frog, we feel like, oh, it's okay, layoff is normal. And I'm like, why is a layoff normal when, in fact, you might have laid off the most intellectually valuable people in your organization because every human being has a lot of knowledge in their brains. So what has happened is that they're redefining these jobs in the name of cost cutting and money saving because they're looking at a balance sheet. This, I have ha had this happen to me three times in my life. Just one of the last times I got laid off, I had grown a 30 million program to 117 million program, except some big shots upstairs decided, oh, why are we doing this with 54 program chairs? We could do it with 27. Cut mm -hmm. half, the, half of the program chairs, lay off everybody, and then rehire back, say, 27. And it may not be some of these people. And maybe we'll get them to do more with less. Because remember, that was one of the biggest mantras that has happened. Mm -hmm. As a result, what's happened is that they've often under-budgeted the position. They're not even looking at people. They've redefined the position. So the positions are like unicorns. It's three jobs into one. You probably have seen many of them. And they won't even talk to people who don't exactly fit this thing because some of the people interviewing them have no clue how to train anybody. When I was CIO, I almost never cared about what they already knew because whatever they knew would be obsolete within six months on my team. So I was mostly looking for smart people who were perennial learners, who could quickly pick up the cut. I mean, I was looking for ethical people, honest people who would, whom I would never have to worry about in terms of supervising. Because I was never like a supervisor manager. I was always a leader. And leader's job is what? To empower them, let them do the job because that's what I hired them for. That's not what's happening. I have tons of people on my hands right now. If some decent company were to hire them, they'd find a job. Just the other day, requirements. They want a clearance already. As soon as I see those kinds of letters, I just reject it right away. I say, look, if you want a clearance already, I could not help you because I'm not going to waste my time. But if you really want a talented person, I've got talented people. So one of those recruiters now reached back to me and said, oh, I need a policy analyst, but clearance is not required. I said, good. Now I can probably help you. So they put all these incredible, crazy barriers and it's always gateways. They got CISSP for an entry-level job. I mean, crazy things like that. Or $50,000. And who is going to be able to do that here in, the, in any economy? Maybe out in some remote area where the cost of living is a lot less? They could. So this kind of craziness is going on big time. That is the problem. So recap, my takeaways from that were it's a management failure. It's a leadership failure. Yes. And it's trickling down to HR and hiring managers trying to do more with less, trying to hire someone with experience for an entry-level job, and then trying to pay them like an entry-level job. Correct. And that's why they call it the skills gap, right? Look, if you have not been able to fill a position for one year, it's not a skills gap. It's your budget gap or a management gap. Because you give me the money, I have never had a problem hiring people. Never. If a hiring manager truly wants to hire, they can hire right now. It's a management gap. That leads me to the second question. Are there people 
that you can't train and why aren't we hiring real entry level people and training them in companies? Why is that not happening anymore? Well, as I said, one of the key things is that the people who are in the positions to hire, for example, I was a CIO, but I was not a bean counter kind of a CIO. I had a CISSP. I had deep expertise in network engineering. I could do anything that any job or any person in my team could do. So I was able to mentor. Many people in positions of power today are not qualified. They have somehow gotten there because of who they know, not what they know. See, the thing is we have to hire people based on what they know, not who they know. For example, the person in charge of the award-winning cybersecurity program that I used to run is now being run by a PhD in English with no job experience in the field. So what are students going to learn from there? And that is what is going on. So you got qualified people who can't find jobs and unqualified people who were hired because of who they know, but not what they know. And they often will hide their qualifications. If you look at their resume or LinkedIn profile, you won't find what field they earned their PhD in. That makes sense. So what can we do? We're at an educator level. What can we do? And then what can people who are trying to get in, what, what should they do? This is the beautiful million dollar question that you've asked. And that is why I wrote this book, Bring Inner Greatness Out. I was struggling with this question myself. The power has shifted so much on the other side that the real producers of value have literally no power and the executives don't really care if the organization is going to fail or the organization is going to lose money. In the past, if you have an executive who's going to take a 117 million revenue producing program and bring it down to 30 million, they would lose the job long ago. But today that is not happening. You got executives where their performance has nothing to do whether they get to keep their job or not. Okay. Or if I grew a program from 30 million to 117 million, I would have huge amounts of power, promotions, bonuses. I mean, I would be like the moneymaker. That is what I was used to in true capitalist America. But we don't have true capitalist America today. And that is what needs to change. That is why I wrote this book, because I cannot change the economy. But what I can change is helping people understand that you don't have to work in those kinds of situations. You don't have to work for a single employer, create multiple sources of income, monetize everything, build your brand so that you become famous enough that people want you. And as soon as you join a company, the value of the company goes up. We have a situation today, if you remember, this kind of a situation has happened in history many, many times. Apple, once upon a time, let Steve Jobs go. Then they tanked, and they actually at some point had to bring him back. Apple is actually a very good example also of where you got a CFO really as the CEO. Why? <laughs> I mean, why don't you create an, a visionary, a technical visionary, an evangelist who's going to do that? Microsoft did the same thing when they had Steve Ballmer for however many years. What happened to innovation? See, innovation in America has declined. Innovation in America today is half what it used to be in 1972. We cannot survive like that. There are other countries that are out innovating us. So we've got to bring this back. And that can only happen by investing in our people 
and giving them the value. We don't need all these bureaucrats who are really literally drones. They're not producing value. If you eliminated everybody above me all the way up to the president, the university programs would still run because beyond the program chair, all the other people are pretty redundant. The program chair and the faculty, that's where the money is happening. So why don't you empower them, mm -hmm. right? I should be able to run my department without some dean, provost, or somebody fiddling with my budget. That was the nonsense that was going on. And I said, I'm not going to deal with that anymore, right? Exactly. And these people were earning two, three times my salary. But I'm paying for that salary because I'm the moneymaker. I was yeah. bringing in the students, teaching the students, and recruiting the students, everything. It was my brand that was bringing in students. So why are these people making all this money? People are abusing their positions of power to suck the profits of the company for themselves. That should not be allowed. My big takeaway on that, what I think that we can do, either as educators or as new people coming in to deal with this problem, is exactly as you've shared in your book and as you share in all of your speaking, is to build out your brand, to make yourself worth something, understand to understand your, your value. Worth. Understand your value, be protective of it, and consciously keep imparting more and more value to yourself. That is why I keep talking about if a person can sing, paint, write poetry, do all kinds of things, well, shouldn't all of that come to anything that you do? It should. That's what I was doing. Mm -hmm. Nobody told me to market. I was program chair. But I know that marketing is something I can do. Not every program chair can do that. Yes. So that's what I did. I also know I am very good at social media. So I did that. And what is modern marketing? Modern marketing has changed. If you buy TV ads, I wrote about that in the book. Mm -hmm. These are very expensive old style media, very high cost, very short shelf life, and very low yield. Well, that's what almost all marketing departments are doing today. No, that's not the marketing we should be doing. Get rid of all those marketing people that had been trained in the 1970s. The world of marketing is completely changed now. You try that model, it will never work. What you have to do now is low cost, high yield, and long shelf life marketing, content marketing. What we're doing today is a great example of that, where we give people value, but at the same time, both you, I, our brand is getting promoted. And this is going to be shared by a lot of people. It's going to have a long shelf life. And guess what it's costing us? zero, right? Mm -hmm. That's what a lot of people should be doing. And as they keep doing that, they will build their brand, they will build their value, they will sharpen their message. Lots of people will see them, they will cut through the noise, they will outcompete anybody. I mean, exactly. you can be the best in the world in whatever you do. I sincerely believe I'm the best in the world in what I do. And you can be the best in the world in what you do. Well, why can't everybody do that? Think about what happens to society if everybody is doing that, right? That's what America was built on. That's the America I came to. I saw it and people were rewarded. The whole concept of capitalism is what? Pay proportion to your contribution. You work hard, you create the money, you get to enjoy a fair share of the profits, bonuses, all of those things. And guess what? If the losses are there, everybody has to share. Mm -hmm. Why, when you have a loss, can you just lay off all the producers of the profit while the drones get to keep their job. Why is the CFO keeping their job 
if the company is having financial problems? Shouldn't the CFO and the CEO be the first people to be laid off if you have a financial problem? Because it's their job to manage the risk of the company, not my job. Yep, exactly. But they will never lay themselves off. But that's the key thing we need to have. Mm-hmm. So my defense has been, okay, I cannot change the world. What I can change are the people that I teach. And I have to teach them the right way. I have to teach them leadership. I have to teach them to embrace their brand, learn public speaking, learn marketing, bring all of yourself to every effort, and then make your brand stronger than any company brand. Because the other thing that is happening to people is they were defined by a company. So as soon as they're laid off, guess what? Since they have no brand, because their whole existence used to be related to some executive in a company. Now, when they're on the street, they don't have an identity. And now it's very hard for them to find the next job. If you look at myself, I am right now not associated with any company, but my brand has not changed. Mm-hmm. That's the way everybody needs to be. Exactly. You need to dictate your career and be more in charge of your incomes and outcomes. On that, I have my high schoolers. And a lot of these soldiers, airmen, sailors, aviators, people new to tech who want to build their value, Mm -hmm. where should we be pointing them? Everyone's curious, should I get this degree? Should I go to that school? Do I need to get my CISP? (laughs) Where should we have them start? And what realistic goals? I've got my theories. I'm curious about your theories. What should we be pointing those people towards? My theory is very simple. I think the concepts that I've taught in my book, people should create curriculum from that. Introduce those concepts into school. We teach leadership right now. Well, why aren't you teaching this modern digital leadership? Because what I'm sharing in that book, we're teaching marketing. Well, why aren't you teaching marketing yourself also? Because you are also a product. All of these things have to change. The business schools have not changed since the 1970s. Yet we are in a digital world today. Digital marketing isn't really being taught, nor being taught by the right people. I would hope that professors like yourself, teachers like yourself, would take the concepts in the book and then give it your own spin, examples, and make it real for them. And that is the reason I wrote the book, because I'm already doing this for my students, but I wanted to do this at a larger scale. That is why I took the pain to do the book, and I also did the book in ebook, paperback, and audio because I know that some people will never read the ebook or paperback. They will only want the audio, whereas some people will never do the audio or the paperback. They will do the ebook. It's fine. I don't care. As a matter of fact, that's the other thing. We need to do books in the modern way because if you ever see my ebooks, they're all hyperlinked. There are links in throughout the whole book where you can click and it'll take to a video or audio, whatever that makes sense. I mean, the audiobook that you wrote obviously can't do that, but in the ebook version of it, it's full of hyperlinks. That's what modern books need to be. Every high school today needs to have modern books. We should not be having these two-dimensional rubbish books that we have. Read. Can't agree more on that. We've had a very, very rich discussion. Thank you very much. That was amazing. Thank you, Dr. Stephen.